Amen. So as I was kind of preparing this series and thinking through you know, the kind of what God would want to teach us, last week we talked about how Paul wrote this book. It's only four chapters, and really the theme through all four chapters is the subject of joy. I was trying to kind of become creative. I like to be creative now and again and, and, and let those creative juices flow. And I thought, you know, what could we call this series that would, that would kind of describe maybe some intent or maybe a struggle or a challenge that we all have? And, and I was thinking of that for most of us, when it comes to joy, when it comes to living a life of joy or feeling joy or experiencing joy, that most of us could probably say we've yet to discover joy. And so as I was looking at, at what we could name this series, rather than, than maybe the joy that we want to have, I, I think that most of us probably fall in line with, with this. It is almost joy. Almost joy, right? We get happiness, we get fun, we, we get these things, but when it comes to like the whole being of your life, the whole way we perceive and experience our lives, I think most of us would say we probably follow into this category. Not true joy, but almost joy. So to help with your joy today, to kind of encourage you to experience the life God has for you, I thought I would share with you a little, a little snippet of some joy that we experience in our house from time to time. I don't know why this occurs, but every once in a while, at dinner time, this happens in my house. Let's roll that beautiful bean footage. So I don't know why, but from time to time, as we're eating dinner, my youngest two kids will just start erupting in laughter, and I think they try to do it on purpose, but then it becomes real, and then they can't stop. And so my wife and I will be kind of irritated, be like, guys, knock it off, stop it, stop it, and we'll start laughing along with them, and then we're all cracking up laughing, and it's just, you know, any kind of control goes out the window. And and so hopefully you caught some of that contagious joy this morning. Uh, But again, something I want to talk about today in line with this almost joy is really in regards to one of the biggest joy killers, I believe, that goes unnoticed or even really unaddressed in our lives. 
Again, last week we talked about that really joy is a state of mind. Paul went through all these different circumstances from being shipwrecked to beaten to almost being murdered and killed to being imprisoned multiple times. And yet here he's writing this book about joy, experiencing joy, living a life of joy, encouraging others to live through joy. And what we determined and what we saw is that joy really is a mindset, It's a mindset that isn't determined by your circumstances. The mindset determines your circumstances. A joy set, a mindset of joy doesn't get altered or changed because of what you see and experience in life. The joy that is in your heart because of Jesus Christ determines how you see and experience the circumstances in your life. And so I believe that one of the major joy killers is a state of mind that is called floundering. Somebody say floundering. Have you ever felt like you were floundering in life? Have you ever kind of gone through that? Floundering, if you look this definition up in the, in the dictionary, it literally means struggle mentally or to show or feel great confusion. Right? It's, a, it's this point in life where you really don't know why you're doing what you're doing, but you can't stop doing what you're doing. It is, it is this state of mind that just creates all sorts of confusion. And I think many of us flounder in life because we have yet to discover our true purpose. We've yet to discover really the reason why God made us, why we received the breath of life, what our calling is, what, what God has prepared for us. You know, when we think of calling, especially if you've grown up in church any length of time, I think many of us, when we hear that word calling, we automatically think of church ministry or church work, like being a pastor, a teacher, a worship leader. But the reality is, is that God did not call everyone to be a church minister, to be a professional minister. Matter of fact, if you look in the Old Testament and you see the nation of Israel as God is beginning to develop their culture and their society, he doesn't choose every one of the tribes, the 12 tribes, to be priests. He only chooses one. There's one tribe, the tribe of Levi is chosen to be priests. That was their divine calling. That was their purpose. And he had a specific purpose for every other tribe in the nation. You see, the misnomer that we kind of tend to believe, especially if you grow up in this this, uh, church organization or church culture, is we believe that God only calls ministers into the ministry. But that is totally untrue, completely untrue. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Read this with me. The words should be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, sorry, verse 10. It says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so what? We can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So we, that includes all of us, can do, that includes purpose, good things, specific things He planned for us long ago. God has a call on your life. God has a purpose for you. God has something specific that he planned for your life before he spoke creation into existence. God made you exactly who you are, the way you are, so through your faith in Christ Jesus and the power of his mighty spirit, you could rise up and fulfill your true calling. We have to get away from this idea that the church ministry or church work is the only form of calling. It is just not true. 
We have different spiritual gifts in the body of Christ for different kinds of ministries. We have different anointings for different kinds of ministries within the church, but also outside of the church. There's more to calling than just being a ministry leader. In Exodus chapter 36, verse 1, I came across this passage the last couple of weeks. I really love the, the Bible app called YouVersion. If you don't have that on your smartphone, I definitely recommend it. It's got every version of the Bible. It has different kinds of plans that you can uh, do different Bible studies throughout the week. They're only like five-day studies. Sometimes they're a little longer. But you can, you can really dig into God's Word in a very simple and non-threatening way. And uh, as well as they have audio versions of the Scripture. So I like to put my headphones in and hit play and just listen to the Scripture um, uh, as I go throughout the day or start, start the Word of God or start my day with the Word of God as I work out listening to the Word of God. Um, but as I was going through the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 36, by the time they came out of Egypt, the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, and, and they're in the, the wilderness wandering, God comes to Moses, the leader of the people of Israel. And not only is Moses in charge of all the people and in charge of ruling and deciding and and determining where they're going to go, what they're going to do, relaying the messages of God to the people, uh, God comes to Moses and says, look, while we go through this 40-day wandering, while we go through this process, I want you to build me a tent. It's called the tabernacle. I'm going to tell you some specific instructions on how to build this tent. And this is where my presence is going to be. This is where... Yes. Amen. All right. He says, this is where my presence is going to be. It's going to be in the tabernacle. When you come to offer sacrifices, when you come to offer incense and pray, the, my glory is going to descend on the mercy seat in the holy place, and this is where you're going to come and encounter the Lord. And I'm going to give you these specific instructions because this tabernacle is going to mirror the reality of what's in heaven, my throne in heaven, the dwelling place of God in heaven. And so he downloads all these instructions to Moses and says, do not miss a step. Don't miss an instruction. You have to build this exactly the way I'm instructing you to do it, or it's going to be bad for the people. And I can only think Moses saying, I'm already busy. I've got all this stuff to do. Do you see how grumbling and complaining these people are? From sun up to sundown, I'm dealing with problems. I'm trying to, you know, encourage people, instruct people, preach, teach, you know, make sure people aren't getting divorced, make sure that their kids aren't being rebellious, all this stuff. And you want me to do this? And if I don't do it right now, it's like, what else? I mean, God, how am I supposed to do this? Right? And, and I know, especially when we're in our families and we have all these responsibilities and in church ministry, as we're looking at all the things God is calling us to do, sometimes we kind of take that responsibility on ourselves and feel like, how in the world is this going to be accomplished? But after God gives Moses these instructions in Exodus chapter 36, verse 1, here's what God tells Moses He says, The Lord has gifted Bezalel, Oholiab, and the other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the Lord has commanded them. God told Moses, this is what you need to do, but hey, Moses, you don't got to do it. There are these guys that have grown up in the trades. They're, they're skilled craftsmen, 
And I've mixed in a little Holy Spirit to their talent, their skill, their ability, and I've made them in such a way that they are endowed with my power to accomplish the very things that I need for them to do. God endowed them by faith through the power of his spirit with special ability to take what they had and multiply it, magnify it so they could accomplish his purpose. When these men utilized their talents for the glory of God, they were fulfilling the very purpose for which God had made them to do something that no one else in all of Israel could do, not even Moses, the leader. Moses was in charge of the spiritual well-being of the nation of Israel, but these men were called by God, gifted and made by God to perform a specific task, which is to create the dwelling place of God for the nation of Israel. I believe when these men used their talents for the glory of God, that they were fulfilling the very purpose for which God had made them. Just like when a bird flies, when a fish swims, when a horse runs unbridled in the open plain, when we discover our true purpose, when we live it out, it will produce within us a fountain of joy, of joy. No, I don't believe we're all called into the ministry, but as Christians, I believe we're all called into the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, there is a different lane for everyone to drive in. And in every lane that God has carved out for us to drive in, there's a specific ministry, a specific purpose, a specific plan that he has intended for you to accomplish in the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes God makes your lane really obvious, right? From a young age, maybe you have a burden on your heart. You're like, man, I know this is what I'm meant to do. This is what God wants me to do with my life. There's something in your heart that you can't shake. But for some, there's a difficulty in figuring out what your lane is. There's a difficulty in figuring out what your purpose is. And for many, and this is why many have yet to discover God's purpose, God's will and plan for their lives, because they, in reality, are just floundering. They're just wondering, what is it? I'm just doing this in my life. I'm going through these cycles. I'm going through you know, this job. I'm working job to job. I'm putting in all these hours, but I just don't feel like this is what God has made me to do. Let me ask you a question. What happens on the highway when a slow-moving car is riding in the fast lane? What happens? Traffic back. It disrupts the flow of traffic, right? Right. That person who's riding in the fast lane might be comfortable cruising at their 55.6 miles an hour, but everyone else behind them is miserable. Right? Everyone else, and it's not before long that they might get cut off on the highway and maybe flipped off while they're cut off, or you know, if, if you really anger the, you know, the, the traffic, a police officer might pull you over for endangering the flow of traffic for everyone else. Right? When you are not driving in the proper lane, there's a disruption. And I'm just going to throw this out there. If you are a slow driver, there is a lane for you. It's called the right lane. Please, please feel free to utilize that to your heart's content. Well, when you go on to the on-ramp and you're thinking, oh, that left lane looks really nice. No, you just stay right lane, right lane. That's where you go, right? Don't even drift to the middle. That's temptation. We want you right with God. Stay in the right lane, okay? We're just going to put you right there. But when we drive in the wrong lane, it causes disruption in our lives. And since each of us were designed for a specific lane, the same is true in life. 
When we're not driving in the correct lane, we can expect disruption in our lives. And often the disruption that comes is a flagrant dissatisfaction in life. It's called floundering. Floundering is a joy killer. And you know, I've asked myself, you know, what are some of the reasons why we flounder? What are some of the reasons why we get stuck in this joy-killing state of mind? And I think maybe it's because we were dealt a poor hand. We had a rough go in life, or maybe we made some bad choices, and now we're suffering consequences. Maybe we had some failures, and and now we're kind of gun-shy to try or risk anything new. I think if we were honest, and if you are here today, and this is kind of where you are, I think the reason why we would admit we're floundering rather than moving forward and driving in the lane God has prepared for us, is because of fear. It is fear. You know, though floundering is a miserable place to be in life, there's an illusion of comfortableness or comfort. There's an illusion of comfort. Subconsciously, when we are floundering, we say, man, I hate where I am in life. This is miserable. I can't stand it. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know what my purpose is. And we have all this frustration and angst. But yet, when it comes to making a decision, we say, yeah, but I'm not going to change anything because I'm more afraid of what might happen when I change than where I'm at, where I am. The changes that will be have, have to be made or the unknown is more frightening than continuing in this stagnant, flagrant, dissatisfied state of mind. But I truly believe that if we found the lane that we are meant to ride in, we would discover a fountain of incredible joy. You know, when I was younger, I, I started playing guitar in the fifth grade, and I wanted to be a musician. I'd played in different bands, and I thought, man, this is what I was meant to do. Anytime I was on stage playing concerts with the band, and you know, the crowd was going wild or even singing our songs back to us, I thought, man, there's nothing greater in life. This is what God has made me and created me to do. And I even enjoyed leading worship in church. And I thought, man, I could do this for the rest of my life. You know, I didn't even need to be paid a lot of money for it. I could just do this. If I could do this, then man, I could just do this for the rest of my life. It was in my DNA. But after a while and over the course of years, what I discovered is that that wasn't really my lane. That was the on-ramp to my lane. God was using that and those circumstances in my life to get me into the proper lane that he had carved out for me to drive in. But the problem was, is I was too afraid to admit to myself that I needed to merge into my lane. And there were many fears that kept me from merging, from making the decision and and begin following the path God carved out for me to follow. There was fear of judgment. There was fear of inadequacy, that I, I just couldn't do it. There was fear of failure, fear of pain, fear of hardship, fear of struggle, even fear of hard work. That just might be more work than what I really want to give. You see, fear is a dead-end street. Joy will never be found at the end of fear. You will never find joy if you're following your FPS, your fear positioning system. You'll never find it. Fear doesn't lead you anywhere but to a dead-end street. Fear kept me from pursuing higher degrees than what I already have because I was afraid that at the end of the music program, they were going to make me sing a recital, and there's no way I was singing in front of people like that and being judged for it. The preaching program made me preach in front of the student body, and I was like, public speaking is my greatest fear in all the world, so there's no way I'm doing that, and I chose not to move forward with my education. 
There's a lot of things. I, I, I quit the football team in seventh grade because I was afraid I wasn't good enough. I quit my, uh, singing, um, my singing group in the eighth grade right before our recital because I was too afraid of singing in front of the student body. I had all these voices in my head that said, you're not good enough. You better run. And I listened to them. For a good part of my life, I floundered. Because I was following fear and was worshiping comfort, making discovering my true lane incredibly difficult. You see, part of floundering is self-deception. They say the definition of insanity, you know that? Doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result, that's the common definition of insanity. And what I say is that before you can get to insanity, you've got to go through self-deception. You've got to deceive yourself into believing the truths or the false truths that get you into insanity. And part of my deception, what I believed, was that I can't fill in the blank. Or I couldn't ever fill in the blank. And since I couldn't or I can't, I didn't even try. And I wondered why I had a growing discontentment in my life as I floundering. And as I look back through my life now and see how I hadn't made a habit of following my fears instead of following my faith, I can see how I missed out on so many opportunities that would have provided me a sense of great joy or God could have used to bring joy in my life, but I missed out on those because of following my fear for fear of what struggles or problems or troubles could come. John C. Maxwell, um, uh, author and uh, public speaker, said this. He said, in life, the question is not if you will have problems, but how are you going to deal with your problems? No lane that God carves out for you to drive in is going to be perfect. You're going to have problems. There's going to be struggle. Transitions are difficult. But it's not the question of if you're going to have problems. It's what you do or how you deal with your problems. He also said, you're either headed, through a, headed for a breakthrough or a breakdown. If you're not headed for a breakthrough in your life, you will be headed for a breakdown. And I say that if you're not traveling in the lane God has carved out for you, following your purpose, you will not only not arrive at your destination, but sooner or later, you're going to have some car trouble and you're going to break down and things are going to go awry. And I know that sometimes we have to break down. God has to allow a breakdown in our lives before we can realize what are we doing with ourselves? Where are we going? Before we can realize that we're headed in the wrong direction and we now recognize or can recognize we're in need for a change, sometimes we have to go through the breakdown. And I tell you, if fear is driving your life, it is going to try to stop the work of God in your life. It's going to try to keep you from driving in your lane, from discovering who God created you to be, and from accomplishing the very thing God created you to do. And what we fear, and the reason why we follow fear rather than faith, is because we fear the breakdown, but by following fear, we end up ending up in the breakdown. We try so hard not to rock the boat or to adjust anything in our lives for fear of failure or falling short, but that almost guarantees that result. You see, church, we need to not only retrain ourselves to think that calling is not just about church ministry and who is called, but we also need to retrain ourselves about the way we think about failure because failure is actually not a bad thing. Failure is your greatest learning tool. Failure is your greatest teacher. 
The difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is that successful people will leverage their failures to grow, to learn, and to keep going, whereas unsuccessful people will use failure as a reason to give up. And I was unsuccessful for a large part of my life. And God has used failure in the lives of so many people to accomplish his will. If we look back in the scripture, we can see that Abraham abandoned his family in part because of a rash decision that he made out of impatience. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Samson was prideful and lost everything. Uh, Paul was a murderer and a persecutor of Christians. Peter denied the Lord right in front of his face as he was being falsely accused and beaten and mocked. Yet in every story that we can see a failure in the scripture, God leveraged those failures to bring about great success for his honor and glory. Failure is not a bad thing if you learn from it and grow from it. In Proverbs 24, 16, the word of God says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overflow, overthrow the wicked. God knows our weaknesses. He created us. He understands that sometimes we will fail, but failure is not failure for a believer. It's merely a closed door God uses to redirect us toward the path of your greatest potential. And this is why he has promised to work all things out together for our good, because he knows we're going to struggle, we'll see trial, and we'll have some breakdowns. But he is right there with us to pick us back up and help us keep going to accomplish his good purposes. Our key verse today... It's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And this is what the word of God says. This is what Paul says to the church of Philippi. He says, I am certain that God who began the work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And here Paul is referring to the work of salvation for those who believe in Jesus Christ. God has predestined everyone who is a follower of Christ to become just like Jesus, to be holy as he is holy, perfect as he is perfect. And the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Christ, is even right now in you, working in you, taking you through a sanctifying process to make you more like Jesus Christ if you will follow him and his leadership. And it's a process that will not be complete until we see Jesus face to face when he returns to set up his kingdom. And this sanctifying process really is a process of failure and success, failure and success. It is our failure, but yet it is his success. We fail. We see our need for God. We repent. We turn to God. We follow his leading. We rise up out of our failure and we become more like him through the process. See, the godly, they don't stay stuck in failure. Failure doesn't overthrow the godly. They turn again to the Lord. They get up. They keep going. They keep pursuing. They keep driving in their lane. And even though failure can be a difficult thing to go through, and it can even be an even more difficult thing to admit, Psalm 34, 18 and 19 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Have your failures made you brokenhearted? your fear, your breakdown make you brokenhearted? The Lord is close to you. And you feel like, oh, you don't know what I did. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what my failures are. How could God love me? I don't know, but he does. And he's right there with you. I heard this week, the scripture says he'll never leave you or forsake you. The leave you part is the physical part. The forsake part is his attitude and his emotions towards you. 
He'll never depart from you, and his heart towards you will never be anything but good and loving. He is close to you, and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. God is going to complete the work that he started in you. He's not going to give up on you. He's with you through thick and thin. He will rescue you when you're in trouble, as you are trying to discover your purpose and drive in the lane toward reaching your fullest potential in Jesus Christ. And I have to ask the question, if God doesn't give up on us, then why should we give up on ourselves? If God doesn't give up on us, why should we give up on ourselves? If God keeps pushing us to rise to our greatest potential in Christ Jesus, why should we settle for anything less than his good purposes and plans for us? Why should we settle to flounder when he has made us to soar in Christ Jesus? He wants us to soar on wings of eagles, to walk and not faint, to run and not grow weary. We should never let the fear of failure, fear of struggle, fear of the breakdown keep us floundering. God wants joy to overflow from the depths of your soul. He's carved out a lane to propel you into his purposes for his honor and his glory so that your joy may become full and complete in Christ Jesus. And the same God who knew you and created you, who started the work in you, will see it through to completion. And he never fails. You're not in this alone. It's a partnership between you and the one who created you. And through his mighty power, you have the ability to accomplish every wondrous work that he has planned for you for the kingdom and for his glory. I think of Exodus 36, where God says, I've set these men apart, and they will accomplish everything that I've empowered them to do. Isn't that an amazing thing? Though we may look at our weaknesses, we may look at our failures, we may look at the ways we don't measure up, God knows what he's given us, he knows how he's made us, and he knows what we can accomplish. Everything he said before us. I encourage you today, church, don't let fear stifle your faith, but let your faith forge your future. Think about your life today. Think about where you are in your relationship with Christ. Think about where you are in your career. Think about where you are in this time. Are you driving in your lane? Or are you still on the on-ramp waiting to merge? Have you discovered your purpose, or have you been letting fear destroy your potential? If you're still wondering what your purpose is or maybe what God's call on your life might be, I'm going to give you something practical, a little practical exercise to maybe help you discover that today. And you can pray through this over the next couple weeks. But if you take your worship guide out, there's a place there for you can, you can uh, make some notes if you've not already filled that up or, or jotted things down. The first thing I want you to do is draw three circles like this in your worship guide. If you don't have a pen or a pencil, you can do this later. It's, it's really easy to remember. I want you to draw three circles right there. And now, when I was working at Mott and I was working in the Workforce Development Center, and we were uh, interviewing people for our programs to, uh, to do different things like dental assisting, hygiene assisting, CNA, and all the different welding and all the different programs, we would interview them like we would anybody else for a job. And oftentimes, we'd ask people this question. You, you've probably heard a question similar to this before. It's very common, but it has a specific purpose to it. We would ask them this question. We would say, if you could do anything in all the world with your life, 
without any limitations or boundaries, what would you do? Think about that. If you could do anything in all the world without any limitations or obstacles or boundaries, what would you do? And we would ask this question really for two reasons. One, to see if this person was right for our program because we would know what kind of attitude, what kind of character, what kind of motivation a person would need to have to accomplish the program. But the other part is is we would need to know if this program was right for the person. If they were going into the welding program, but they really desired to, to, to do something in the medical field, we'd be like, well, what are you going to welding for? You got I mean, we got other programs to help you get towards your dream, your goal, your vision for your life. And so we asked this question, and I ask it to you today. If you could do anything in all the world without any limitations, obstacles, or anything, what would you do? And in that top circle, I want you to write that down. That's your passion. That's your passion. That's what's in your heart. That is your vision, your dream for your life. And that's the first step to discovering maybe what God, what laying God is destined for you to do. Now, the second thing I want you to think about is your talents, your skills, your experience, the things you've been through. Are you married? Are you single? The different things that you've encountered in your life. And in the second circle on the left, I want you to start listing those things. I want you to list all your experiences, your education, your marital status, all the different things that that, um, you have in your life in the second circle. Because God has equipped you. God has given you gifts, talents, abilities, skills, life experience, life situations that he can use for his honor and glory. And put that in the second circle. See, God is not content which is having us figure out what we're passionate about or figuring out what our skills and experience are. He, experience, he expects us to use these things for his honor and glory. And so the third circle on the right, I want you to write in there the kingdom of God. When you're done, it should look something like this. Passion, skills and experience, kingdom of God. Of course, you'll have more detail in there. So you have these three areas of your life, what you feel like you would do with your life if you had nothing standing in your way, the skills and experience that God has brought you through, has given you, gifted to you, and helped you learn throughout your life, and then his kingdom. And then that place in the middle where all three of those circles come together, that is the sweet spot. That is the target. That's the bullseye. That's where everything comes together and potentially could reveal to you how you could use all of this together for your life. Figuring out how what you're passionate about can come in contact with your skills and experience and how that can advance the kingdom of God, that very well may be your calling, your lane, the thing God wants you to pursue with your life. That small section is the most important section on the map. See, God might be calling you into civil or public service, the armed forces, or being a school teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a construction worker, a tradesman, a nonprofit leader, an activist, a parent, 
Whatever the case is, God is calling you into a lane. And he wants you to utilize everything in your arsenal, everything in the bag of talents, abilities, and skills to advance his kingdom, to share the gospel with every creature, to raise them up, to be everything God has intended for them to be. His plan is for you to leverage your skills and experience. And he's going to mix in the Holy Spirit as you step out in faith to follow his calling and pursuit in your life. And he's going to work wonders miracles. He's going to provide you experiences that are going to produce so much joy in your life, you won't be able to contain it. The question is, is are you brave enough? Are you faithful enough to chase after it, to start driving in your lane? See, God has called you for such a time as this. That's why you're breathing. God's called you. He's purposed for you. He has good plans he's meant for you to accomplish before the foundation of the world. So Bezalel was not only gifted, but he was empowered by God to do everything he wanted Bezalel to do. No one else could do what Bezalel could do. And you know what? You're made the same way. No one else is going to be able to accomplish what you can accomplish. No one else is going to be able to do the things that God has created and empowered you to do. Someone once said that God has prepared you for a prepared people. He's prepared a people for your ministry, wherever, whatever lane that looks like, wherever lane that's in. You know, I could tell you our nation needs some more godly lawyers, some more godly politicians, some more godly preachers and teachers and, and people in public service. Our nation needs more of that. Calling is not just in the church building. Calling is in the kingdom of God. And I call on you to surrender to your calling to step out in faith and begin driving in your lane. And the amazing thing is, is that not only will other people's lives change, but so will yours. Let's bow our heads in this place. Father in heaven, God, I just pray for our church, Lord. I pray that we would never be satisfied with anything other than the purpose for which you've created us. God, I pray for those that are floundering today. I pray for those that are struggling with identity, with purpose, with maybe, God, how could you use my failed marriage in my life? God, how can you use that abusive situation I went through? God, how could you use my education, my training? God, how could you use these things that I've experienced in my life, Lord? And though I may not understand everything I've been through, gone through, worked for, God, I understand that you have plans and purposes for me to use that for your honor and glory, to use it to place me in a specific place to be able to share the gospel with people and see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray that hearts and minds would be open. God, that faith would rise in the hearts of our people, that we wouldn't be content with just same old, same old, with, with floundering and flagrant discontentment, God, but we would humble ourselves and begin pursuing after the calling that you've placed in our lives. The joy would overflow exceedingly and abundantly in every heart in this place. God, that hope would rise in our hearts, hope that says we can do it because we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. God, I pray now for the church as we go into a time of response, as we go into a time of prayer, as we go into a time of declaration of those that maybe have a testimony of praise or, or a word from God to encourage the church. God, I pray that your spirit would move powerfully among us. God, those that are 
that are struggling with illness or sickness, God, that need prayer, God, those that are struggling with emotional problems and relational problems, Lord, I pray that they would come forward. And as we pray together as a church, God, that you would work miracles among us in the name of Jesus. It is all for his glory, for your glory and honor. Praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen.